Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, where your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development, where we share original research, explore industry trends, and interview executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We hope you join us often for practitioner-oriented content around all things related to leadership, HR, talent management, organizational development, and change management. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Do you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Please subscribe, leave a review, comment, share, and consider supporting the podcast on Patreon, even at the producer and sponsorship levels. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Troy Nix about how employers can show they value their employees. Troy Nix, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thanks a lot, John. I'm, I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, I'm super excited to have this conversation with you. I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to meet with me and share your experience and your wisdom with me and my listeners. Today, we're going to be focusing on how employers can show that they value their people, employees within the organization. Now, that may seem like an obvious statement, but so many employees right now feel unvalued or undervalued. And it's a big driver behind the great resignation and why people are making choices to leave their organizations. So even if as an employer, I think I'm doing a pretty decent job in terms of showing gratitude and value towards my people, chances are that's not necessarily getting to them. They're not seeing it. They're not hearing it. They're not feeling it. So we're going to explore how we can do this better as leaders within organizations to really help our people feel valued, feel like they are needed, wanted, valued, and that we really want them to stay with the organization. As we get started, I wanted to share Troy's bio with everybody. Troy Nix, author of Eternal Impact, Inspire Greatness in Yourself and Others, is the founder, president, and CEO of First Resource, Inc., an innovative association management company for America's manufacturers. Nix, a graduate of the United States Military Academy at West Point, served in the armed forces for a decade before moving into the business world. And really, I could go on and on with your background. You have a tremendous background, but is there anything else you would like to highlight or share with listeners by way of your personal context before we dive on in? You, you know, John, uh, background is, is very interesting, but um, military civilian experience running my own business for 25 years now i have a ton of failures and so it's really nice to build on those failures and to share those lessons learned i think that's that's one of the things when i travel around and and address audiences around the country internationally that they pick up on man we can learn a lot uh from failure so that's it right there Absolutely. And it's all about how we frame failure, right? Quote, unquote, failure is only failure. If we fail to learn from it. <laughs> if we don't make changes so we can do a little bit better the next time. The reality is the world is a big, fast paced, messy place. And, and we're all human. And so inevitably, failure is just part of the game. The question isn't whether we're going to fall down. It's how many times are we going to fall back? 
are we going to fall down and then get ourselves back up and yeah, learn awesome. from it and, and to grow? So I think that's a tremendous perspective to, that, you know, can become a foundation for how we approach the world and pr- uh, approach relationships, organizations, and we can be patient with ourselves, patient with others around us, and, and just try to continually learn and grow and develop and reach our full potential, which I know is a big part of the work that you do. Yeah, no doubt. You know, it's interesting. So in my association management business, we have over a thousand manufacturing companies under our umbrella. And just this morning, I spent time with a CEO of a $300 million organization. One of the things that I get an opportunity to do each and every day is learn from the best of the best, uh, see them failing, see how they're trying to uh, course direct, right? It's like, hey, we got, we got to go somewhere different. We got to do it really quickly. So that's the other thing I think I'm going to bring to the audience today, just lessons learned from everybody else too. Looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Okay, so as we get into the main topic for today, um, can you maybe share with us a little bit from your, your background, both military, but also um, private sector and business, what you've seen in terms of the change in trajectory over you know, the course of your career and how employers show value show that they value their people and perhaps maybe the shifting mindset of employees and how they expect to, to be valued. Uh, because, you know, from my perspective, I think that has shifted tremendously, even over the last decade, if, you know, certainly over the last couple of decades. Uh, thoughts on that? Yeah, most definitely. So let's just uh, dive right in the last 24 months. You, you talk about a change. You talk about the society changing. So, you know, I service the manufacturing segment. And um, just this week, I had a group of CEOs on the line and obviously uh, trying to get employees uh, to come in so they can produce products so we can serve our customers is the number one issue. And the thing about it is it's not going away. Uh, this is where it's going to be and we have to adjust to it. So I had, um, I had an individual down in uh, Columbus, Indiana, and he said that his tool and die business is computing, competing with the, the uh, home box stores, the Home Depots of the world that are paying from $23 to $25 an hour. I'm like, you got to be kidding me, right? And so no longer are you competing with, with the individual that has that skilled expertise next door. You're competing with Taco Bells. You're competing with everybody. So let's just set the stage right now. And right there is the fact that, man, if you aren't doing everything you can to ensure that you're engaging your people, to ensure that they aren't, they are on a satisfactory tra- uh, uh, track, then you're toast. That's how I'm looking at it right now. So it, it, at the end of the day, when a leader goes home and they're like, hey, I, did, I had a good day today. I did what I was supposed to do. I said, I'm saying you're not even beginning right now uh, in a leadership role to do that. So this concept of appreciation that you're talking about, this concept. So yesterday, as an example, uh, I brought in, uh, she's 26 years old. Uh, she's been with us a little over a year spent two hours with her in a a review process. We set goals and objectives. I have a bonus comp uh, system that I have in place. If they hit their stretch goals, they get more money, right? At the end of the day, I asked her, why do you work here? Some employers may not want to ask that question. I have to ask that question. Why do you work here, Caitlin? And she started with, my God, I've been in a lot of other workplaces, but you allow us to own our work, make decisions, And if we fall down, you help us get back up. Uh, There's no chastising. Everything you look at is a learning experience and you invest in us. Any training we want, you say go. If it makes you a better professional, I know you're going to be a better contributor to our organization, so go. I, I uh, I learned something from a CEO the other day. It's like three weeks ago, we had a conference call and he said, training for me is an unlimited budget. 
if I run out of training money, I just go find more because I can't do anything better for my people than to continue to train them. What do you think about that, John? Isn't that crazy? I, I, I love it. And it's so interesting because that attitude, I would suggest is not the predominant attitude in the business world. Many people, you know, training budgets, that's one of the first things they cut when things get lean and tight. Um, and so as you're describing in your business, as well as other CEOs that you've been talking with, uh, I think you're taking the exact right approach that, uh, you know, compensation is a piece, right? You have the total compensation package, which, you know, salary wages is a really important piece and whatever other benefits you can provide. And and it has to be there and you have to help people feel like they're being treated uh, fairly, right? In an equitable fashion. Certainly that has to be there, but there's so many other elements that can come in to how someone is going to feel valued and investing in your people. That's one of the best ways to do it. And so many organizations are scared to invest in their people because it's, it's, it's so interesting to me because they see people leaving in mass. And so they're like, well, I'm not going to invest in my people because then they're just going to leave and they're going to go to my competitor and I'm going to invest all this money for nothing. I'm like, well, if you don't invest in your people, they're going to leave. If you invest in their people, in your people, they're probably not going to leave, or at least not at the same rate. And it's like this, this disconnect mentally that people just don't get the, the, uh, how the relationship works. My mentor, I've got a mentor since uh, 1994, man, this guy is, he's like my father. I, I love him to death. And, um, he told me a long time ago, he said, uh, you can, you can serve and look at things. If I train my people, they might leave. If I don't train them, they might stay right. It's like, okay, which one are you going to take? You know, it was interesting in talking to Caitlin yesterday. Um, when I asked her, I said, so what do you want to do? What do you want to become? What's your five years? She's like, man, I, I don't really know about five years out. And I said, but what about some certs? And you know, John, the younger, the younger uh, age group, man, they're so talented. And, and, but, but what I'm finding is they like the certifications. They like that extra training. You don't have to go back and get an MBA. But man, if they can go down a track and get a cert and learn a, a little bit more knowledge. So I was talking to Caitlin. I said, what about becoming like a, a certified association executive or a certified meeting planner? Dude, her, she just lit up. She goes, yes. She goes, I was actually thinking that would be cool. Would, would you allow me to do that? I'm like, what are you waiting for? Let's go. Right. And it was so cool just seeing that beam happen because, man, I, I can't get that enough. I mean, that's what gives me juice. That's what gives me energy. You know, this is interesting. I give a leadership presentation uh, for the North American Diecast Die Association next week down at Key West, Florida. And I go home the other night and I look at my wife and I'm like, I don't feel I can do this. She goes, what's wrong? I said, I don't feel like I'm leading. Hey, I'm going to talk about leadership. And I think I'm failing every day right now. I'm not spending enough time with my people. I still don't have my goals set for each and everybody. I haven't set them down one-on-one. This guilt complex, it keeps me up. But you know what? I think that's what makes me a good leader because I know I'm not the best, but man, I'm trying. And I, I, I have to underscore, if you've got small businesses listening to this and you think you're checking all the boxes as, as a leader, you're just beginning right now. It, it's, a, it's amazing what I'm not getting done that I, I know I need to get done. Yeah, and so it's, it's about awareness, right? And, and what you just articulated in my mind is, is just this, this heightened sense of awareness uh, and, and you aren't complacent. Uh, I think in leadership, that is a real danger because a lot of times we feel like our intentions um, are manifest to our people, 
but just like we can't fully understand all the intentions of everyone around us, they can't see our intentions either. So we may have the best of intentions. We may have a really great attitude. We may love our people, value our people. Uh, we may think that we're showing lots of gratitude to, towards them, that we're investing in them adequately and such. Uh, but the reality is most of the time as leaders, we're not doing it in a way that resonates with or is salient to our people or we simply think we're doing more than we are. And, and so we get complacent or we, we think, oh, I did, I did that. I invested in my people last month. So this month we can focus on productivity. <laughs> like that's not how it works. You, you have to, it has to be a continual ongoing thing um, for, for you to, to fill the reservoir of trust and for people to actually feel like you care. And it's not a one-off. It's not something you can just do in, in you know, quarterly one-on-ones or whatever. It has to be kind of this ongoing attitude, culture, environment that people find themselves in. And, and that just, that takes consistent time and effort. Now I will say you need to give yourself a little bit of a break. Like we can't beat ourselves up for all the things we don't do because there's an endless list of things that we always need to do, but we need to be aware and we need to not allow ourselves to become complacent. And, and we just need to strive a little bit more every day. And if we can do that, our people will see the effort. They will appreciate the effort. And again, you'll develop that trust with them and you'll develop actual meaningful relationships with your people. Uh, and, and that's like half the battle. Well, you know, half the battle for me actually starts during the interview process. And I don't think people put enough into this. And so I'm going to give you two tools that I use as a small business. And first and foremost, for so from the United States military, uh, from a leadership standpoint, we create uh, what is known as a leadership philosophy. Okay. And so I'm a relatively intense individual. I have very high expectations and I expect full go all the time. And realistically, that's not fair for everybody else. But it's important that when I'm interviewing somebody for the first time, and then during the onboarding process, I'll go over my leadership philosophy several times. And in my leadership philosophy, I highlight six major things. I highlight the concept of effort. You said never quit, right? So they at least understand where I'm coming from. When I look at effort and how I grade it, at least they get me. And then I expect them to do this for me too. So on the first day when we're shaking hands, they know the inner workings of Troy Nix. They know what I feel about ownership. They know what I feel about honor, especially, right? Integrity and honor. They know what I feel about life's fulfillment. I believe in impacting others. And when you come to work here, that's our why. And we underscore our why almost every day. Who have you helped today? Because that's the source of our business. And if you don't like that why, then you don't fit here. But at least they understand that that's the core of me. Character. And last, perseverance and grit. Because you're going to fall down and skin your knees. And my expectation is that you get up, you learn from it, and you keep running hard. So right then and there, it's, it's like, man, I didn't know this guy was like this six months into the job or a year into the job, I don't really like you. No, they know me exactly. And I haven't changed, man, this is who I am. And so my other leaders do the same thing. They have this documented. So I would say for, for those that are running businesses, departments, whatever, there's no faster way to get on the same sheet of music than to self-reflect about who you truly are and what you expect of others and give it to them and have conversations about it. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing, and I know you understand this, but I guarantee you, I'll be talking to a couple hundred small businesses uh, next, next week. And the concept of we have the ability now 
to measure people's behavior even before they come and work for us. And so I do an analysis of any job function, and then I try to find people that match that, that, that behavior base. So as an example, I use, I use what is called predictive index. And this is who I am. And you know this. This is your background. Right, John? I mean, you get this to a T. But I'll tell you what, when you look at this concept of let me drive in my dominance, I am over the top. So at least when my people come in and they have issues and problems, they know as soon as the door opens, I push away. What can I do for you? That is my mentality. You are my number one customer. My other customers come, come later because I got to service you first. And then they give me a problem. What I learned over time is just because they're telling me about a problem doesn't mean I have to go fix it because I'm like, okay, get out of here. Let me fix it. And so now they come in and say, we don't want you to do anything. But isn't that cool that they know about me and they know what makes me tick because this used to, and still does in some cases, gets me in trouble because I'm like, fix it now, right? And I, I, I will jump around anybody to fix a problem, but now I got to lay back and they tell me to lay back. So that is the kind of organization that we're running. And every single employee has one of these on their door. So when you go in and you're going to have a critical conversation, at least you know who you're talking to. I like data. So if somebody needs to make a huge decision, they're going to bring me data because they know I'm going to ask for it. So they do it ahead of time now. Even my wife. My wife went through this training. We've been married for 34 years. And about five years ago, she goes, oh, my gosh, when you come home from work and I go, blah, 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 blah. She goes, you're trying to process everything that I'm saying and you never respond. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's it, Ann. That's what I do. She goes, man, I never knew that about you. So this is what we do. And it makes us better communicators. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Academy. Courses, micro-credentials, and certificates to upskill and reskill for the future of work. All HCI Academy courses, micro-credentials, and certificates are designed, developed, and delivered by award-winning and internationally renowned scholars, educators, thought leaders, executives, and practitioners. Our courses, micro-credentials, and certificates will help you make your mark on the future of work and make an immediate impact in your organizations. Check out the HCI Academy and our many course offerings and certificates to upskill and reskill for the future of work. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us. Yeah, I love both of those. I mean, that's that's tremendous. And, and really, it's about understanding who we are what makes us tick, what drives us and understanding our people, right? And when we understand more about ourselves, we can understand more about others and vice versa. It becomes this, hopefully this reciprocal upward spiral of just understanding it, but that takes time. It takes effort. It takes self-reflection. Uh, and it, this gets to kind of the crux of, I think, what a lot of this problem is as we think about 
showing that we value our people. Again, it's it's not about whether we think we're valuing our people. It's about whether they feel valued. Oh, and yeah. and th those aren't always clearly connected. And so there's often a gap between what we think we're doing, what we feel like we're doing versus how it's being experienced by those around us. Um, how, how would you suggest we go about bridging that gap so that Man, we can it, actually truly understand where our people are coming from and then show them that we value them in a way that they will hear. I, I think kind of like relationships, you know, we have like the five love languages, for example, like people have different ways that they can feel value and appreciation and gratitude. And we can't just assume that the way we feel it is the way they'll feel it. And we have to direct it in the way that will be salient to them. I, you know, I think that um, any employer if they can tap into what gets an individual excited. And this is what I ask. This is one of my questions during anytime I sit down, especially during a one-on-one -on -one, like I'm having right now, I ask the question, why do you come to work? And what, at the end of the day, what is the one or two things? What are the one or two things that just light you up on the inside? Cause I want to know that because we all have jobs where you have to do a certain amount of activities that you just don't enjoy. But I want to know what you do enjoy. And I want to continue to broaden that pie if I can, because that's when I'm winning. That's when somebody will look across the street and say, I can, I can earn a little bit more. But at the end of the day, man, this, this job, it fulfills me. I go home fulfilled. So I've got a gal, uh, just met with her two days ago, one-on-one, -on -one, two hours. And um, we talked about where she is, what her future holds. And I asked her the question, why do you work here? Why don't you leave? And she goes, because I know the grass isn't green on the other side. I know that you allow me to own my work and you give me flexibility that no other employee will get me. So it's interesting, John, I'm kind of an old timer, right? So when COVID hit, I'm coming in the office and all the employees are going, where are you going? I said, I'm going to the office. And they're like, well, are we essential? I'm like, hell yeah, we're essential. And they said, who said? And I said, I did. It's on my letterhead. I'm essential because we got to work because we got people that are producing products uh, for the pandemic that need us. So we're coming to work. And with that being said, all of a sudden I realized, and this took me a while, and I'm going to throw myself under the bus here because it took me about six months to go, what the hell is everybody scared about? What's going on? And shame on me because we all look at the world based on the baggage that we hold. And all of a sudden, about six months in, I'm like, oh, Troy, oh my gosh, these people have parents that they're worried about, they're their kids, their family. I just view the world a little bit differently. And man, I learned a valuable lesson there. So much so that six, six weeks or six months into the pandemic, I had my culture director uh, put out a G12 survey. So Gallup 12, right? 12 questions. Put it out to the employees. I want to know where I stand right now. And man, it was, uh, we scored really well, but I learned uh, two valuable things. And number one is that all of a sudden everybody's gone. They didn't feel as appreciated. And it's interesting. It wasn't that they didn't feel as appreciated, but our interactions, our interactions just kind of tailed off. I'm worried about keeping my business open and making payroll. So I kind of forgot about the people in a way. And after that Gallup 12, man, I made an effort each and every day to say, hey, I know you guys are on the islands by yourself, but I'm here for you. What can I do for you? And all of a sudden, we need telephones, Troy. We need new laptops. We need, and that's what I needed to do. And so we staffed everybody up equipment-wise. We did another Gallup 12, man, and boom, blew it out of the water. 
So that's the concept. So when she was talking about flexibility and man, I need to find out what is making you tick and what makes you really, really excited and give you more of that because the guys over here and across the street in downtown Indianapolis, they're not going to give it to you like I give it to you. That's how I win. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I, I think you, you articulated really well uh, how important it is to connect with our people in a way that they can hear in a way that they will see hear and feel, you know, what we're trying to convey that they'll value. And the reality is it, it's a little different for everybody. Uh, and with your employee, I, I like how you're proactive about it because a lot of times uh, people wait until someone chooses to leave. So a, a manager or a leader, you know, will do a, an exit interview and they'll say, well, why did you leave? Well, by then it's too late. They're leaving. Uh, so what you were just describing is what some people call a stay interview, where you're actually asking, why are you here? Why, why do you want to be here? Why, why do you choose to stay instead of go somewhere else? Because there are options. We know you have options. Uh, we know we may not pay the very best. There may be other places where you can make a little bit more money. Um, but why do you stay? What is it? And that is a powerful question. Because when people feel safe to open up and actually answer that question, uh, then you can get real insight into what makes them tick. And everyone is a little bit different. Uh, if we can understand that, value that, people will feel seen. And, and honestly, when it comes to feeling valued and appreciated, being seen is like one of the biggest pieces of that. People just need to feel seen. And it, you, you can throw money at something. And for some people, that'll work to motivate them and to make them feel valued. For other people, that's not really what they're going for. I mean, they, they want to be paid fairly and they want, they want to make a living, but, but you know, what, what's really going to help them feel valued could be a genuine pat on the back and, and expression uh, and acknowledgement of the hard work that they've done. Or like you said, it could be investing in their future career development through trainings. It could be giving them ownership and autonomy over projects. It, it can look a lot of different ways to a lot of people. And ultimately we just need to, to tap into that. Can I hit you with a story about this concept of ownership? Because sometimes when people feel valued, it's at the worst times. Like, let, let's just talk very, very quickly about major mistakes in organizations. I think it's, it's important in, in terms of how I handle major mistakes in my organization. And it, this came uh, upon an incident. I do a lot of business with the Marriott Hotels groups. I was downtown Indianapolis. This is about three or four years ago. And when I pulled my car uh, into the valet center, that's all I could see were basically police and Kevlar, FBI, CIA. And I'm like, what is going on? I went in and Vice President Pence was speaking and he, and he did so unannounced. So I'm sitting down with the general manager of the hotel and I was like, hey, Keith, man, why don't you call the meeting off? <laughs> like, what are, the, what are you doing? And he goes, well, you're important to us, Troy, so we need to have this meeting. I'm like, that's fine. So we went through the meeting and it's interesting on the way out, uh, the, the individual, the 21 year old, uh, that was the valet, uh, I gave him my ticket and he went to get my car and, and Keith and I start talking about leadership. And so the young man brings a car around, jumps out and gives me the keys. And I look at the young man, I'm like, hey, sir, I said, I'd take that car if it was better than mine, but it's not. So can you get my car instead, <laughs> right? And Keith is sitting there and this young man, and what I realized I'd just done, this is the boss of the boss of the boss. Like this is the head cheese and this kid's running around with his head cut off. So he takes the keys back and goes, gets my car. And Keith looks at me, the general manager of this enormous property and says, I'm sorry, Troy, this is my fault. And I'm like, what do you mean this is your fault? He said, had I done enough 
research and understanding what was going on, I would have staffed better today because every time this kid gets a car, it's a national security issue. He said, I should have five valets right now. It's my fault. I sat back, John. Oh my God, I get hairs on my neck are standing up right now because on the way back, I thought to myself, I own everything, right? On the surface. But then I realized I started playing stuff back and events that had happened. And I'm like, but inside I'm pointing and that's not a good leader. Now, I'll give you a perfect example. I had uh, one of my directors publish a manual that was about a 120 page manual, sent it out to the industry to hundreds and hundreds of people. And the manual was completely wrong. Make it short and simple. She came in one day, she goes, hey, Troy, I just made a, a $13,000 mistake. That's a lot for a small company. And I looked at him, I'm like, what do you need to do to fix it? She goes, I need to do X, Y, and Z. I said, go fix it, let's go. I said, we'll cover the cost. Our customer will not feel this. And we did. On the inside, I was like, how did you do that, Susan? Why would you do that? But I'll tell you what, on the way back from this hotel, and I was listening to Keith, I thought to myself, man, maybe if I'd have given Susan a little bit better technology to do her job, maybe if I would have allowed her to work with the web development company so that our members could better identify their capabilities. Remember, if I would have done, if I would have done all these things, we would have never had that issue. So sometimes from a mistake standpoint, what I try to preach to my people is that nobody comes to work with the expectation of doing a bad job. And so when one of your teammates fail you, you need to put those glasses on first before any words come out of your mouth to say, hey, they didn't mean to do this. Let's focus on the process to make, it, make sure it doesn't happen again and not the individual. So that's one of the things that we try to indoctrinate in our organization. And we're not perfect because we're only human. But when we see it happening, it's a, it's a, it's a flip to say, hey, guys, nobody meant to do this. How do we fix the process? So I, I just wanted to say that because, you know, it, it's fun and dandy. You value your employee and give appreciation for them and show gratitude. But when stuff goes haywire, it's easier to point the finger. So, God dang it, you just cost us this much money. Uh-uh. Nope. It all points back to me. I should have had better processes and systems in place for my people. I love it, Troy. Troy, it has been a real pleasure. I note the time. It has flown by. I have to let wow. you go. But yeah. before we close today, I just want to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about your team, and then give us the final word on the topic for today. Yeah, this is awesome. So you, you can learn more about me at TroyNix.com, T-R-O-Y-N-I-X.com. You know, I took the time. It took me five years uh, to write a book. And initially, it was going to be a book uh, on leadership, but it's not. It's on lessons learned. It's about how to leave a bigger impact and a bigger imprint with the life that you lead today. And my vision is, is that there will be so many people at my funeral, John, that they'll have to take it over two-day viewing, right? Sitting there drinking a beer saying, man, I remember when Nick did this for me, when he did that for me. So that's what it's all about, eternal impact. Uh, that's why I'm here for. And I guess I guess the, the last word on our, on our subject is leadership, you know, and when it comes to uh, touching people's lives each and every day. I think leadership really can turn the coin for you in a positive direction when you are fighting all these employment issues that are not going to go away. So dig deep within oneself, understand who you are as a leader and, and understand ultimately that your biggest customer is a person that punches that clock each and every day to make it happen for your bottom line. I love it, Troy. Thank you so much. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week.
Bluer Than Indigo Leadership, The Journey of Becoming a Truly Remarkable Leader. Early in my adult life, I learned about an Asian proverb that translates as bluer than indigo. If you think about the color indigo, it is a brilliant, deep, and vibrant blue, what some would call the bluest of blues. To have something that is bluer than indigo is rare and truly remarkable. Contrary to popular myth, there is no one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter approach to effective leadership. There is no silver bullet, no secret sauce, no go-to model that will solve all of your problems. The truth is, great leaders have all had their unique strengths and flaws, and have all had to discover and then pave their own distinctive path in their life's journey to fulfill their leadership potential. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership will help you discover your own path and explore those ordinary, everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership. Ordinary, everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think. enjoy the human capital innovations podcast please subscribe leave a review comment share and consider supporting the podcast on patreon even at the producer and sponsorship levels thanks again for joining us for this episode of the human capital innovations podcast i hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week